Genesis 2, 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Exodus 16, 23 through 30. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Exodus 20, 11, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Matthew 11:28 through 30 from the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make it a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we've been in the Sabbath series for a couple of weeks now, and I think for most of us, we connect Sabbath with Sunday as a day. So here's a question for you. What does your Sunday typically look like? Maybe we'll start on Saturday night, the night before. Maybe you stay up a little bit later than normal, you eat a little bit more, you party with some friends, maybe you drink a little more than you should, and so you wake up Sunday morning <laughs> in a fog, and you wonder why your kids and your dogs don't love you enough to let you sleep in more. And then you go to church, if you go to church, you rush out the door and along the way maybe pick up a coffee and, uh, to clear that morning brain fog. Or maybe if you're at home, you just sit up and roll over and pick up your laptop and iPad and start the service online. After church, you might ask someone to go out for lunch. You go end up at home, pick up, do some shopping, uh, watch some sports, uh, maybe work in the yard. Maybe if you have kids, you drive them to their parties and play dates. And then while you're out, you're waiting for your kids, so you have your phone with you, so you open up your work email, you check some emails and your work calendar for the week and uh, pay some bills, uh, do some homework, and then maybe at the end of the day you watch some more streaming or a movie online and go to bed. Does that sound like a typical Sunday? Kind of like, that's kind of like that for me, except for church on Sunday. So just to clarify, that's not Sabbath. 
no judgment at all, okay? It's just an honest appraisal of what the weekend typically looks like for many of us, even as Jesus followers. Here's the thing, it's not the Sabbath. It's what late Pastor Eugene Peterson called bastard Sabbath. It's the unacknowledged offspring of the ancient practice of the way, which is the Sabbath, and the modern secular day off. It's a bastard Sabbath. You could call it Sabbish or Sabbath-ish, meaning kind of Sabbath, but not really. So how do we keep Sabbath from becoming Sab-ish? From becoming just another day, another activity to check off on the weekend. And as we said through this entire series, practice on the Sabbath, uh, series on the Sabbath practice, there's these four movements. There's stop, there's rest, there's delight, and today we get to worship. We've been walking through each of these movements over the past three weeks. And today we get to perhaps the most important and distinctive part of the Sabbath, which is Sabbath as worship. So worship, Sabbath as worship means it's holy, not just happy. It's worship, not just weekend. And God, not God's. So holy, not happy. God, uh, worship, not weekend. And God, not God's. So, Sabbath is worship. If we do the first three steps, stop, rest, and delight, they are helpful. They help us to have a, you know, emotionally healthy, relationally healthy, for good for our well-being. But if we miss this last step, we miss the most meaningful part of the Sabbath practice. So where does this idea of Sabbath as worship come from? Let's go back to Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3 that Roz read for us. There it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So take a look. Notice what God does on the Sabbath. There's two actions that God does. Number one, God blessed the seventh day. That word is, Hebrew word is barak, which means blessed or to make happy. So Sabbath is meant to be this day of delight and joy. And in Genesis, it also conveys this idea of life-giving capacity to fill the earth with more life. That's what it means to bless. That's what God does. So Sabbath isn't just about enjoying and delighting, but life-giving blessing to the world. That's what God does. Second thing that God does is God makes it holy. God makes the Sabbath day holy. In the ancient world, gods were found in the world of space, right? Places. You think Roman and Greek mythology or even other uh, myths. Gods were found in a holy mountain or a holy cave or a holy uh, temple. And we see it even in the Old Testament when Abraham or Moses or other patriarchs encountered God. They would set a monument there to commemorate their encounter with God. And that was a holy place on holy ground. But what does God do on, on, on the Sabbath? He doesn't set apart a different place. He sets a holy day. Rabbi Joshua, uh, uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel says this about the Sabbath. Sabbath is an architecture in time. Sabbath is, uh, Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. We look at this church and say, oh, what a nice, beautiful church with stained glass windows. But God is calling the Sabbath the great cathedral. Because of, for this God, the one true creator God, the entire cosmos, the entire universe is God's temple. And there is nowhere that God is not. So if you want to find God, you don't have to go to a mountain. You don't have to travel to a shrine. God has, is found all around us. 
All we need to do is set aside time to come awake and to come alive to God's presence. It's time, not space. So what is exactly does it mean to make this day holy? Holy in the Hebrew word is kadash, which means unique, special, uncommon. And the theological definition is that it is set apart for God's purposes. So we tend to think of holy. When we hear the word holy, we think of it as a, as a moral descriptor, a way of saying something is good versus something is evil. And in a sense, it is that, it does convey that. It's contrary to our humanistic culture's view of goodness, or what the ancients called virtue. Goodness and virtue are a minority position in society as a whole. It's not natural for us. You have to kind of choose it. And as even Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The narrow way of Jesus is holy. It's uncommon. But holiness isn't just a moral word. In the Torah, there are these holy pots and holy pans and holy utensils that are used in the tabernacle. They could, a fork or a spoon isn't evil or good in itself, but it can be set apart for God's purposes or set apart for just normal life. In our home, we typically use, you know, paper napkins and towels and, and a mug. My mug I use for like four or five days for various drinks because why wash it if you don't have to? But when we have guests over, you know, we bring out nice glassware, to, even to serve water, and we have cloth napkins that we set out for people. They are holy in that sense. They're uncommon. We're pretty simple in our home. Guests in our home get glassware versus a coffee mug for their drinks. But I know some of us, maybe our families, will bring out fine china and crystalware for special occasions. The point is that some items are set apart for special purposes and not used in our ordinary life. What fine china is to daily plateware, Sabbath is meant to be like the rest, to the rest of the week. It's holy. It's set apart. It's uncommon. So Sabbath is holy in this sense, set apart. And following God's example in creation, Sabbath is to be blessed and to be made holy. The question is, is for what? Or better, is for who? Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 16. Moses said to them, verse 23, this is what the Lord commanded, tomorrow, tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So notice this phrase, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. That can be translated, set apart for, to the Lord, or dedicated, uncommon to the Lord. The Sabbath is this day, entire day that is meant to be set aside, not just for rest, not just for celebration and enjoyment, but for God. Sabbath is a day for worship. Weekend is rest and break from work, where we can chill out, we can relax and enjoy life. But worship is something else distinct from that. See, when we hear the word worship, many of us think of singing and liturgy, and there are, there are of course, Examples of worship. But worship is much more, and much more than this, especially. 
In a biblical sense, to worship is to orient our, reorient our entire lives around God, our creator, our center. It's to lay our lives before Jesus in love and to deepen our surrender to God's love in all parts of our lives. Worship is to place God's character in action in the world at the top of the hierarchy of all of our values. Worship is putting this new outlook on in life where our priorities in light of Jesus and God's kingdom. That's what worship is. That's what the scripture describes as worship. Now, we, of course, can worship through singing and participating in a worship service like we're doing right now. But there are so many more ways, like giving our time, giving our resources, serving the children upstairs. After uh, some, some some of us came early to set up the potluck for today, and others of us are going to stay behind to pack boxes for the DC-127 families that we're sponsoring. These are all ways that we can express our affection and our devotion to God and yielding our will, yielding our life decisions, yielding our schedule to be informed by Jesus and his kingdom. Anything we do to center God and to direct our heart in love to God's glory, to God's goodness, and to God's, uh, is all a form of worship. That's what Sabbath is set apart for. So yes, Sabbath is a day to stop, stop what you do the rest of the week, rest, take a break, to find delight and celebrate in the good things that God gives us. But if we stop there, we miss the point of Sabbath, which is above all to contemplate this good news that God has given us life in his son, Jesus. And so now it's our joy to give our life back to worship. It's to appreciate this life that we already have in Christ rather than pining after this life that we think we deserve from God. Sabbath is this opportunity to deepen our communion with the deepest reality there is in the universe. It's what's described earlier in this, uh, in this series, earlier this fall, as abiding in Christ, of communing with God. This is the most important and, and, uh, movement of the Sabbath practice, which is worship. You know, in my experience, there is this progression I observe in my soul when it goes through the Sabbath. So first, I stop, and then I rest, kind of clear out the stuff that I need to take care of, and don't let those interrupt me. Then I find my energy coming back, and I begin to delight. I can begin noticing things that God's done in my life. And as I delight, I can't help but burst out in spontaneous gratitude and worship, saying, thanks, God. Thanks for doing this. And wonder and awe of the goodness of God. And by the end of the Sabbath, I find myself often noticing things around me that just in creation and in my home, that it's like, wow, thanks, God. Thank you for providing. Thank you for delivering. Thank you for these relationships. Ruth Haley Barton, in her chapter on Sabbath in the book Sacred Rhythms, writes this. Something similar, similar process. I know what it's like to rest for hours until I have the energy to delight in something. Rest so that you can delight. Good food, good book, a leisurely walk, a long-awaited conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though I had thought it might never come again. 
I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. I know what it's like to have rest turn into delight, and delight turn into gratitude, and gratitude into worship. Does Sabbath feel like that for you? This is one of the best, many reasons that for, me, for, for, for most of us, Sunday is a, gr- a, gr- a great day to do our Sabbath. For over a thousand years, Sabbath and Sunday worship were synonymous. And only recently have they begun to be separated, but they are intended to go together. So during the series, our small group has been going through the Sabbath practice material together, sharing our experience and our reflections on what it means to do Sabbath Many of us acknowledge that even our Sunday evening small group has become a vital part of our Sunday routine, being our Sabbath. At our small group, we remember God uh, in community. We are being known by others at WCF, and we're knowing others. We're filling our souls by reflecting on our lives in the week past and looking forward to the week ahead of us, sharing maybe some of the burdens or the things that we're looking forward to. And each Sunday evening, paired with our Sunday morning, worship has become this life-giving part of our Sunday rhythm to center Jesus in our lives beyond just mere intellectual assent. It's helped us bookend our Sabbath day with worship, worship in the morning and worship in the evening, rather than Sunday worship service being just one activity to get through and check off on your weekend. We try to prioritize our time meeting together. At least I'm trying to do that too. Because it's worship rather than just one activity to fit in on your weekend. See, the tragic way that the Sabbath has been co-opted by the weekend from a day of worship to a day off, it gets to this heart of the matter. The Sabbath is holy, but we have to keep it holy. It's uncommon. And in the Ten Commandments, we read this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The Jews don't talk about practicing the Sabbath, but they talk about keeping the Sabbath, meaning it keep it holy. They call it sanctifying the day or setting apart the day. Treat it as special and unique. You see, you can either sanctify the Sabbath and keep it holy, Or you can use what the language of Scripture says, profane the Sabbath, meaning we devalue it, we dishonor it, we treat it just like every other day of the week for doing as we please. In what ways do we keep the Sabbath holy? And in what ways do we profane the Sabbath day? Now, please don't feel guilt-shamed here. If we put our trust in Jesus, the degree to which we keep the Sabbath day holy isn't going to change our status before God. Ultimately, this isn't about a day and what you do on the day. It's about your life. Remember, all of the spiritual practices that we do are a means to an end. The Sabbath is a day of worship by which we cultivate a spirit of worship for the rest of our lives. So in what ways is your life holy? In what ways is it set apart for and dedicated to God? And in what ways is it profane, common, following the trend and the path of all that's around us? Sabbath is a day for worship. 
Sabbath isn't a weekend. Practicing the Sabbath is designed to lead us into the deeper worship of the living God so that our entire lives might become holy. That's the point of the Sabbath. So you're asking, okay, Andrew, that sounds hard. One of the biggest challenges in Sabbath is figuring out how to do it well in these various seasons of life. I hear you. I've been hearing different people say, oh, I don't know, this is hard. How do you set aside 24 hours? I know that's hard. And I know, like, we got to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure it out because I do my Sabbath on a Friday, but then Julia begins hers on a Friday evening, and then we kind of do Sabbath stuff on Sunday. So, like, well, how does it all... So we kind of Lego blocking it together. So, and, but the different seasons of our lives bring different challenges, too. Those who are single will have different challenges for those of us who are parents of young children, and that will have different challenges than those of us who are retired or empty-nested. Every, seasons of, every seasons of, season of life has different challenges to finding rest and preventing us from fully trusting and worshiping God. Pastor and author Adele Calhoun says this, if you aren't resting, you are a slave to something. If you aren't resting, you are a slave to something. See, Sabbath is designed to help us recognize what we are enslaved to the rest of the week so that we might come to worship the living God that really is in control of our lives. In Exodus 16, that Roz read for us, it's the same challenge that these Israelites faced. Having just experienced deliverance from Egyptian captivity, God provided them with the good gift of bread every morning, laying on the ground when they woke up. That God sustained them. But on the seventh day, he commanded them to, to stop, to rest, to Sabbath. And we're told there, nevertheless, what happened? Nevertheless, some people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. See, for them and for often for us, we don't stop because it's a matter of control and trust. They felt they needed to keep going because it was in their control. But Sabbath is an opportunity to worship the living God as our trustworthy provider. Sabbath is an opportunity to disquiet or to quiet the, the call of the gods of this age that beckon us incessantly. When I use the term gods of this age, I'm not necessarily referring to physical idols that we bow down to or other organized religions. But they, the gods of this age can simply be good gifts that, that have, we have turned into ultimate gifts. They can be good gifts even from God that we have refused to you give up control over to God. Every seasons of life, season of life brings with it its own gods that prevent us from trusting and worshiping the living God. As students and as singles, our school or our work, our deadlines, and our social life may seem too demanding to pause for a significant amount of time to rest and to worship. The God of FOMO is real. The fear of missing out. Fear of missing out of networking with the right people. Fear of missing out on the social occasion where you just might meet your spouse, future spouse. As parents of young children, we are constantly battling the needs of our children with our own needs for rest and for solitude. And there's this fear of being the ashamed parent who doesn't give your children the opportunities that you think that they deserve to have or that you missed out on. And so you wonder if Sabbath as a 
uh, stop and rest is maybe a possibility, but definitely not Sabbath as delight and worship. And as empty nesters or retirees, the gods of entitled freedom and pleasure after decades of hard work and sacrifice are constantly whispering in our ears, don't worry about it, let someone else do it. You've worked hard. You can go on vacation. You can enjoy life. You see, all these are good gifts. Wanting to make the most of our opportunities, wanting to give the best opportunities to our children, taking the, enjoying the opportunity that you have earned through your hard work, those are all good gifts. But all these good gifts can become false gods that prevent us from truly resting and worshiping the living God where we find real life. I get it. We are limited in time. We have social engagements that we or our kids have to get to. We have a household to maintain and groceries to buy. Our kids have sports and music and play dates. How we do Sabbath, how do we do Sabbath when the, on the weekend when our time, uh, when we use our, the weekend to catch up on all the stuff we didn't do the rest of the week? But here's the thing. What if we approached Sabbath differently and approached the weekend differently? When our ideas of Sabbath are disconnected from what is actually possible we can ask God for wisdom and creativity. See, rather than race to keep up with all these good gifts that come into your life and opportunities that come, cramming them into our weekend, what if we approach the Sabbath as an opportunity to simply receive and enjoy the good gifts of life? Look at Sabbath as a day to receive and enjoy the good gifts rather than to keep up with them. Are you receiving and enjoying, or are you trying to keep up with them? We can take a day, it's just a day, to step back from all these unmet expectations of others and of yourself, and allow God to meet us in those moments. What's that noise? Interesting. Okay, unmet, unexpected things. On the Sabbath, we can say no to the chase, and we can say yes to receiving the gift. Say no to chasing the gifts. Say yes to enjoying the gifts you already have. Charity Barton, who is the daughter of uh, Ruth Haley Barton, shares this helpful approach to shifting her expectations on the Sabbath, especially as a young mom. She says this, Instead of seeing it as a day of rest, we look for ways to create a day for being. Instead of a day of rest and day for being. It's a subtle shift, but in the season when my intention is to be present to my family, to myself, and to God. This shift helps us create a Sabbath practice that is attainable. You know, she goes on to share some questions that she and her husband ask on the Sabbath of themselves. Say, how can I be more present to myself, to my family, and to God during the Sabbath? What is the work that we need, most need a break from? What is the work that we most need a break from? Three, what are the individual needs for each member of the family that can be attended to in our Sabbath practice? Lastly, what are some of the easiest ways that our family can spend time together? You know, when we hold too tightly onto our own desires and ideas, and even when we hold on too tightly to our idea of Sabbath, we can't receive what God wants to give us. See, rather than being overwhelmed by whether how you're ever going to fit a four-hour block of solitude and contemplation into your Sabbath, just let it go, okay? Be open and be surprised by the 20 or 30 minutes when you're 
child goes down for a nap or is off playing with their friends, then you can slip away for a moment of silence. A helpful prayer that we can pray is this. God, we ask not for what we want, but for what you know we need. On the Sabbath, can you pray that prayer? God, we ask not for what we want, fitting in all these things on my schedule, getting the stuff done, but for what you know I need. And then let the day unfold. Be attentive to the people, your family and the people around you and to God. And allow God to meet you in your area of need. That's Sabbath as worship of the living God. That's Sabbath where we can transition from a life of anxious concern towards what we've been talking about, anxious, life of anxious concern towards a life of increasing yielded trust to God. You see, for six days of the week, we do our best, or we pretend to, to be holding everything together, managing our, with our skills, with our energy, with our en- ingenuity, to man- that these are all things that God provides to us, and we try to manage our notifications, we manage our calendars, we manage our lists, manage our households, but for one day on the Sabbath, we can say, God, it's in your hands. I want to be with you together with those that you've entrusted to me. Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl describes in his book, The Man's Search for Meaning, describes this existential vacuum that he observed in many people, and especially in 60% of the students that he taught. He calls it this Sunday neurosis, where the rush of the busyness of the rest of the week is over and we just crash and become deeply aware of this void in our lives. With increasing cases of depression and anger and an addiction, this isn't just a problem with humanity as a whole, but it's symptomatic of this existential void within the heart of every single human. See, when Frankel wrote, though, he wasn't aware of this phenomenon of social media that we face and 24-7 algorithm-driven content that attempts to distract us from this void. It never fills us, though. Increasingly, we find ourselves occupied, but still unfulfilled. We find ourselves busy, but still bored. We find ourselves full, but never filled. We weekend, but we never worship. Sabbath is a day to fill the void with the only thing that can fill the void, which is worship of the living God of the universe. The Sabbath is a day for worship. All week long, these false gods of the world lure us out of our orbit around God into this gravitational pull downward. It's invisible, but powerful. They all promise us rest. They promise us joy and happiness and a sense of community and identity. Yet all they give us is this incessant weariness and emptiness of our soul that the Western world has perfected to a T. On the Sabbath, we can come back to what the Quakers call the holy center in God. And this point for all of us who are baptized in Jesus, where we are in Christ, where our spirit is in communion with God's spirit, where we're not even aware of whose we are anymore. We draw into this life of the Trinity itself on the Sabbath and give our lives back in return.
This is what Sabbath is. The Sabbath is a day for worship. May it be so for you in your lives. Amen.